I'm Tavis Smiley. Glad to have you tuned in to our program today. Uh, spirited first hour, and uh, I expect the same in this hour. In our third and final hour today, we'll get some we'll get our laugh on today with Lou Nell, the bad girl of comedy, joins us live in studio today in our third hour. But let's get this second hour uh, kicked off right about now. Uh, what does it mean to really see the world around you, to bear witness, and what does it cost us both to see and not to see? A conversation in this hour about the complex terrain of perception, moral responsibility, and human connection with award-winning author Jamel Brinkley, uh, who I'm delighted to welcome to this program to unpack his new text. It's called Witness Stories. Um, Jamel, good to have you on. How are you today, sir? I'm good, Travis. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. No, it's my great honor to have you. Thank you. Um, thank you for the time. Um, let me um, let me start with, with with a quick story here. I was um, at dinner last evening, and um, somebody asked me um, who's on the show tomorrow, and I was saying to them, giving giving the run the rundown, and I was saying that in the second hour we're talking about bearing witness. And there were a number of people standing around when I was asked this question about today's show. And somebody said, Mr. Smiley, can I ask a question? I said, sure. He said, what do you mean by bearing witness? Uh, what's that conversation about? And so I, I, I answered their question. But for those listening right now who uh, uh, want to make sure they're on the same page with you and me before we jump into this hour, and I'm glad I've got you for the hour, when we talk about bearing witness, what are we talking about here? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. I mean... I think my sense of bearing witness is heavily influenced by um, the, the great James Baldwin. And my understanding of it is that it's kind of a two-part transaction, and both parts of it are difficult. Um, the first part is, is sort of pushing yourself to see what you need to see mm. as opposed to what you merely want to see, you know. And the second part of that is that based on seeing what you need to see, taking responsible action. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yet it takes courage, I think, um, to bear witness. Put another way, it takes courage to say what you see. Um, many of us mm -hmm. see but don't have the courage to say what we see. And there are others who mm -hmm. uh, see uh, and want to act like they didn't see what they saw. <laughs> uh, there, are, there, there, are others, there are others who blind themselves d deliberately, willfully, don't want to see what's going on around them. That's right. To, to, to avoid the responsibility to, in fact, bear witness. But let me start with the first point. It, it, it does take a level of courage, it seems, it seems to me, uh, to, to, to say what you see, to bear witness about what, uh, what's happening around you. Absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. You know, one of the ways that I think you do take action when you when you do perceive is, is to speak out, is to say what you see, to be articulate about the experience. Um, so I think I think it does take courage. It's, it's very difficult. Yeah, um, it's not easy. Um, and and I, I wonder whether or not there are many of us who are, back to that earlier notion, willfully blind because it is too painful to see uh, what exists around us. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, um, there's a way in which, you know, we, we, we purposely limit our perception because it's easier for us or it's 
flattering to us. We don't want our own self-image to be challenged. Um, we don't want our own sense of safety to be threatened at all. And so you kind of, you kind of, you know, very deliberately limit limit your your what you see, what you what you perceive through your senses. Um, but you know, it's a very selfish way to live. There's safety in it. There's a kind of flattering self-image that goes along with that. But if you're going to be a member of a community, a member of a society, then you got to push yourself out of that flattering self-perception and that limited vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want this conversation for the next hour to be so esoteric. Um, so we're going to get down a little more specific as we move forward um, about this notion of bearing witness and why in a moment like this, uh, in this uh, experiment in democracy, uh, we need to explore the complexities of perception and, and moral responsibility and human connection. Uh, why in a moment like this, more of us have to have the courage to say what it is that we see, why in a moment like this, more of us have to be willing to speak truth to power, and for that matter, to the powerless. Um, It's a great conversation, uh, I hope, in the offing about the call on each of our lives, yours, mine, everybody listening right now, to bear witness, to have the courage to say what we see, to speak those uncomfortable truths. And why? Because if nobody speaks uh, the truth, then the suffering gets rendered invisible. going to be a good hour uh, once we get a little less esoteric, and I promise you we will when we come forward with Jamel Brinkley on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like freedom. More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. And we're glad about it. Uh, our guest in this hour is Jamel Brinkley, author of a book called Witness Stories. And we're talking in this hour about uh, the responsibility that each of us has um, to, to, to bear witness, to say what it is that we see. There, there are a lot of folks, Jamel, who don't, who don't want that responsibility. Um, they, they come into the world. Um, they want to be um, uh, sort of left alone, um, do what they do, live life on their own terms, um, but bearing witness ain't their thing. To those persons, you'd say what? Uh, you know, I would I would say to kind of just look around you. You know, look look to your family, look to your friends. You know, look on the local level, on the everyday level. Um, and there are things that you can do that might seem small, but are actually quite significant. I mean, I'm thinking about this because, you know, in the last few years. I'm looking at my friends who who are parents or, or siblings who have suffered losses. Um, I'm looking at my own family, you know, in the ways that people are um, just facing a lot of trouble, you know, chronic illnesses, you name it. And I think if you just kind of take a look around you, you know, to your people, there's a way in which you can even bear witness on a local level and maybe that kind of weight of responsibility that feels so heavy to you, you realize you know, there are ways that I can actually bear witness and affect change that, that seem small but are significant to people. Yeah. Um, at the epicenter of this notion of, of bearing witness are a number of things. One of them, it seems to me, is the notion of moral responsibility. And the older I yeah. get and the more I wrestle with this, the, the more of a conundrum it becomes for me, not the least of which is because I'm not sure that we are all, all singing from the same hymn book these days about what is moral and what is immoral, what's acceptable and what's not. Our, 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 our norms, our, 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 our mores, um, things are changing so swiftly um, that I'm not 
so sure that I could give you a succinct definition of what it means to to be morally responsible when it comes to bearing witness. Um, your thoughts in that regard about moral responsibility? Yeah, I mean, the first piece for me, I think, is just to try to be as reflective as possible. And I mean reflective in the sense of your, your thinking, but also in the sense of mirroring or reflecting what's actually going on out there. One one line that I love is, you know, Nina Simone always said that the duty of the artist is to reflect the time. Mm-hmm. Just that act of, of reflecting, like seeing what's actually going on right now. And if you look around, what do we see? We see climate change. We see, you know, people suffering because of the gig economy. We see um, racism and other kinds of discrimination on the workplace. We see people losing their homes because of deed theft. We see the sort of silent violence of, of gentrification. We see medical racism that a lot of black women especially are suffering from. Um, just the nonsense of national politics right now. Um, obviously the ongoing um, tragedy and, and horror of, of police violence. Um, and I think if you just, just stop and just take a, a solid, honest, objective look at what's going on around you and just, just actually like point to this is what's happening all these things are happening right i think you can sort of get to a foundational place about where your your moral duty begins because those things are undeniable Mm. you know i think if you reflect those undeniable features of our society right now then you can begin to get some grounding for for moral action Mm. i want to come back to that notion of uh, where moral duty begins um, I like how you put it. We'll, we'll interrogate that a little bit later. Where moral duty begins. Before I do that, though, I want to stick with the point you made a moment ago about Nina Simone, uh, an artist. Um, and it just so happens I mentioned this, I guess, earlier this week. I was with uh, with my my friend Stevie Wonder last weekend. We were um, he had a big event here in L.A. and uh, I participated in this event with Stevie uh, again a few days ago. And every time I'm in his presence, um, I never take it for granted. Uh, I am always reminded of the giant, the giant that he is, the artistic genius that he is when it comes to using his platform always to bear witness, whether he's appearing at a rally, whether he's engaged in politics, whether he's doing a fundraiser or most importantly and most principally, whether or not he's writing a song. And of course, his catalog is deep, but there, there is no artist, I think, who's been greater. Uh, not in our tradition, the black tradition. No artist greater. Nina Simone is a good one. There are a lot of great ones, but but Stevie is is, is top of the hill when it comes to using his art form to actually bear witness. I wonder if you might say a a, a, a deeper word, um, share a deeper uh, truth about the way you see the role of artists historically in our experience being unafraid, many of them, to bear witness uh, with whatever their gift is. Yeah, you know, I think part of it is sometimes we have this separation between the creative or the artistic and the political, Mm -hmm. right? But our most important artists face that line. You know, there is no separation. Like part part of being creative, part of being an artist is um, dealing with with, um, just the facts of life, you know, the the problems, the, the political realities of our lives. Um, and that, you know, being an artist is a calling. It's not just, you know, making sure people have a good time at the club. It's that mm-hmm. too, right? Mm-hmm. If the message isn't delivered without the, the, the uh, infectiousness of the music, um, 
but there's there's also this response. There's no separation. Like the, the separation is false. You know, we we don't need to honor that separation. The art and the political vision, the moral vision, that they're all blended together. And you know, artists like Stevie, like Nina Simone. Um, our great blues artists, mm-hmm. um, even our sort of anonymous blues artists, you know, this, this, this idea of facing the facts of life and being articulate about the facts of life, singing the blues to make the blues go away. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's sort of foundational in my sensibility. Yeah. Um, I, Kevin, Kevin Powell, the, the brilliant writer um, of MTV fame many years ago, but he's written so many wonderful uh, books and so many wonderful articles mm-hmm. uh, for Vibe and Beyond. You know Kevin's work. Kevin, of course, from, from New York. Um, um, Kevin's coming on this program in a couple of days. I, don't get me to lie. I think it's next week sometime. Um, but Kevin's on the program. He just, wrote a, he just wrote a provocative, I mean, it's a long piece, but a provocative piece he just uh, wrote about growing up as a, as a hip-hop child, growing up in the hip-hop era. As you know, we're yeah. all celebrating celebrating the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. But Kevin's written a really provocative yep. piece calling hip-hop on the carpet, as it were, uh, the music. Uh, and his argument essentially is what you just said a moment ago, that this is not, this is this is nothing less than a vocation. Uh, and we'll get into mm-hmm. it for a full hour, and Kevin can explain himself, but there are some, some serious lines in this piece uh, that we're going to tease out that I think will, will certainly challenge, if not upset some people, in the world of hip hop, about the way he sees it, fifty years in, and so I, I raise that to ask whether or not um, there is a moral responsibility, um, given that it is a vocation, it is a calling in hip hop and beyond. Um, is there a moral responsibility uh, that we can automatically put on every artist um, to use that platform to bear witness, or can it can it be just about entertaining us and and uh, and uh, and making us feel good. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I don't want to impose, um, I don't want to dictate to anyone what their art should be, but I do think it's important that people have a strong sense of the history. Mm-hmm. You know, um, hip hop is not an art, art form that, you know, sort of emerged and without context. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you really think about the roots of it, and you think about its connection to our other great art forms, our other great music, then, I think it's that awareness, again, it's that kind of awareness raising and really thinking about, you know, the roots of hip-hop itself and its connection to other art forms. Then I think maybe something about, you know, that might challenge artists who otherwise, you know, think only about the entertainment value, you know, delivering bars, quote-unquote, you know, um, to, you know, heighten their art, you know, push them to, to go further. I think it's important that we do push and challenge our artists, right? Instead of merely accepting what they deliver to us, they have to be responsive to the needs of the community as well. Yeah. Um, by the way, for those who want to read that article, it's a fascinating piece. It's a long piece. Um, so uh, uh, get to it when you have some time. But uh, you might want to read that article in advance of Kevin coming on our program next week. It's on Politico. Uh, it's called Hip Hop and America mm-hmm. Are Changing and not for the better. That's the title. Hip-hop and America are changing and not for the better. The fact that he wrote it for Politico uh, will uh, give you some sense uh, as to um, what he's uh, uh, unpacking and why Politico is the is the outlet uh, to publish the piece because he's talking about politics, of course. Uh, but once again, it's hip-hop in America are, are changing and not for the better. Written by Kevin Powell, a powerful piece that we'll be unpacking on this program, I think, um, uh, next week. Um, 
take take me inside your your book, Witness Stories, uh, Jamel. Yeah. Um, so you know this, the the stories in this book. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I think the presiding spirit of this book is James Baldwin, who mm-hmm. thought so deeply about this idea of, of witnessing. Um, but each of the stories is sort of dealing with um, families, um, you know, friend groups, um, black folks in Brooklyn, New York City more broadly, um, sort of in the shadow of some of the things that I was talking about, you know, like in the shadow of gentrification, in the shadow of, you know, the, the gig economy, in the shadow of, of, you know, police murders, and just really trying to take a close, intimate look at, at people within families, people who are sort of dealing with losses or facing challenges and, and really kind of like looking at the people, you know, I want to, I want to keep in sight the trouble, the mm-hmm. sources of the trouble, but the stories are really about the people. And that, that, that was vital for me in order to like show these, these relationships, people trying to, um, people trying to thrive and, and pursue joy and, and, um, you know, heal themselves and protect each other um, in the face of the the things that are um, assailing them. As I said earlier, um, if no one bears witness, if no one has the courage to say what they see, if no one speaks truth to power and to the powerless, then the suffering that you're talking about now gets rendered invisible, which leads me to ask, how much suffering um, you think is being rendered invisible because people don't have uh, the capacity or the courage to bear witness to it. I think. I think a lot. I think a lot of it is is being rendered invisible. You know. I think people don't want to see it. People don't want to hear about it. Um, there's this great Gwendolyn Brooks line that I came across a couple of weeks ago, and she says that truth tellers are not palatable. Mm. And that there's a preference, there's a preference for candy bars, she says, which I love mm. because it made me think about this idea of bars and like hip hop music. Right? Yeah, and a lot of what we call bars are, to me are actually candy bars. Yeah, right. Mm. Um, you know, it's that, it's that sort of like it tastes good, but there's you know not not a lot of fil- not, not a lot of substance, not a lot of nourishment. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think I think you know I think important for us not to be insensitive to the, the sufferings of our, of our neighbors, of, of, our, of our friends, our fellow community members. And that's why you need um, the storytellers, you need the, the novels, the short stories, the films, the TV shows that are actually um, putting these things to light and doing other things too, right? Um, not just sort of like a dreary kind of news cycle of, of, of trouble, but showing people dealing with their troubles in ways that are often very inventive and joyful um but yeah i, I think i think it's it's the way that our society is structured the way it's sort of atomized with, with social media a lot of times you know with with all of our screens it, i think it's easy for people to to lose sight of the trouble although those 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 um media can also be ways of connecting and i think it's important to remember that as well uh, you mentioned Gwendolyn Brooks, and you took me back. I had the honor of interviewing her a number of times in her lifetime, and the greater oh, wow. the, the greater honor, the even greater honor, being asked to speak at her at her funeral uh, in Chicago. So oh, I, my it, it was a great moment for me. 
a sad moment, but a great moment to have been asked to, to eulogize um, Gwendolyn Brooks. And I love that line, that truth tellers are not palatable. <clears throat> and her invocation, her suggestion that people prefer candy bars, right? Uh, truth tellers yeah. are, are, not, are not palatable, l- l- which, which leads us into a conversation. I, I, can, I guess, well, let me do this. Let me tee this up now. I'm looking at the clock here. I don't want to get you started. I have to cut you off. But I want to come uh, right forward to this notion that Gwendolyn Brooks advances that truth tellers are not palatable, that people prefer candy bars. Um, I want to talk about the condition of truth. As I said earlier, it is the, the, the condition of truth uh, is uh, to, to allow the suffering to be seen, the suffering to be heard, uh, to not render that suffering invisible. That's what we're talking about in this hour. The responsibility that each of us has to bear witness. Um, we're talking about the complexity of perception and how we build greater human connection. But there's a broader conversation to be had, I think, uh, we'll try this when we come forward, about the condition of truth right now. In this nation, not just in our community, but in the country, what is the condition of truth? One could argue, and I think I will when we come forward, that truth in this present moment is itself on life support. Let's unpack that when we come forward with the author of Witness Stories, Jamel Brinkley on Tavis Smiley. From the Merck Park with love, 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 this is Tavis Smiley. Helping to Helping make, to make you, you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley in conversation with Jamel Brinkley, author of the book Witness Stories, a must-read on everybody's list. All kind of praise for this text. The New York Times, NPR, the LA Times, Vulture, the Boston Globe, Shondaland, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Chicago Review of Books, Essence, uh, The Root, on and on and on um, go the praise. Uh, for goes to praise for this book, Witness Stories, by our guest in this hour, uh, National Book Award finalist, um, Jamel Brinkley. Um, we're talking, uh, in case you've just tuned in, uh, about what the book is essentially uh, getting us to wrestle with, and that is the notion of bearing witness and what it really means uh, for us to see the world around us. Um, what does it cost us both to see and to not see? Jamil, I was thinking during that break that one of the things that challenges, there are many things, a plethora of things, but one of the things that challenges um, our capacity and our courage to, to bear witness, to say what we see, is that we're living in a moment, I think, and I think there's evidence, there's data to bear this out, that people for a variety of reasons are becoming more and more nativist. More and more nativist. Mm-hmm. That is to say, we're we're, we're turning inward, uh, and mm-hmm. and and no one seems to care uh, about the other. It's one of the reasons we we walk past homeless folk every day as if we don't see them. Uh, mm-hmm. And there there are, there are a long list of things I could lay out. Some of this stuff, of course, you cover in your text. But I, but I wonder if you might say a word about the juxtaposition of of bearing witness in a culture mm-hmm. that's becoming more and more nativist. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, I, that that's what I was I was thinking of when I was talking about us being so atomized earlier. You know, the way in which we're we're sort of pushed um, for various reasons to, to think in a very individual individual individualistic way, um, and that's that's really challenging. And and you know, um, and the way that we socialize too is increasingly mediated. You know, in in, in such a way that like. You know what you're getting. I mean, there's storytelling, but so many stories are lies. Mm, you know, mm. um, 
you know, all this stuff about fake news and a lot of the images that we see are manufactured, all this AI stuff that people are talking about now. And so it's, it's hard to know, like, what, what's real. Um, but to me, I think, you know, there's no easy answers. But, but, but I think part, part of the issue is that we do have to sort of push ourselves to, to be in community with each other. You know, a lot of the work, even for an artist, is not just your medium. It's not about just the, the laptop or the page for mm. me. I think a lot of the work is out in the world. And that, that work out in the world is what conditions the work that I do on the page. And so I think part of it is just sort of pushing yourself to, to not be so inward, so so um, individualistic, so atomized, like really pushing yourself to be in community, like flesh to flesh, like shaking hands, like, you know, feeling the, 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 the weight of somebody's voice on your face. I think that kind of community making is, is, is so basic, but so vital in the face of this, you know, you know, this, this kind of nativist tendency that you're talking about. Yeah. Maybe it, it, it occurs to me now, Jamil, maybe the reason that so many of us shy away from bearing witness, from speaking truth to power, from saying what we see, maybe one of the things that drives us away from that moral responsibility is that it's more than just saying. Um, let me back mm-hmm. up. It's more than just seeing. It's more than just seeing. It's more than just saying or speaking. But at some level, to your to your brilliant point now, it requires doing. It's not just yeah. it's not just seeing, it's not just speaking, but it requires doing. Uh, and if you yep. really, if you if you really don't want to do, <laughs> you don't want to do anything, uh, then the way to avoid doing something is to not say, and prior to that, just to act like you don't see. So I wonder I wonder if there's a connection between bearing witness and actually having to do something about what you are bearing witness about. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think it's part of the moral challenge that someone like James Baldwin is posing. Mm-hmm. You know, like one of the epigraphs to my book is, you know, I want to discover that the line which separates a witness from an actor is a very thin line indeed. Nevertheless, the line is real. Mm-hmm. When he's talking about the line being real, between being a witness and being an actor, there's an implicit challenge there. There's a, and there's an implication that just seeing is insufficient, right? And that you have to cross that line over to, to acting, mm. whether that's, you know, acting in, in service of others, you know, whether it's intentionally pursuing community, um, you know, showing a, an ethic of care, like whatever that is. But, but that, that, that thin line is a line that many of us don't want to cross, Right. And and I, what I hear in that line is, is this and in Baldwin's line that you have to cross that physical line into action. Yeah, it seems to me that in the black community, in, in our community, uh, we have no choice. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know how anybody um, can can see the condition of our people, see the suffering amongst our people, and be unwilling to bear witness to it. Number one, uh, but number mm-hmm. two, to um, to be uh, to, to to be unwilling to to to, to speak some truth, uh, to share, uh, to say what it is they see. Um, I don't know how else we get from here to there, wherever there is in our yeah. community, if people keep running away from that responsibility, Jamil. 
That's right. Yeah, I think I think it's true. I think it's true. And you know, I, I know I keep talking about Baldwin, but he really is. No, he's a, he's a bad boy. You, you can never. Let me just let me, for the record, you can never mention the name James Baldwin or quote James Baldwin too much <laughs> too too much on this true program. Indeed. Maybe some maybe somewhere else, but not true on this indeed. program. Yeah. Yes. Well, one one of one of the the essays that he wrote that I absolutely love and that I recommend to everyone is called "The Uses of the Blues." Mm. And he's talking not just about the music, and he says that at the outset of the essay. He's talking about the experience of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he's, when he, what he means by the experience of life, I mean, in, in the essay, he draws a distinction between a sort of a generalized American um, attitude toward the experience of life and a specifically blues-rooted black experience of life. Yes, And that blues-rooted black experience of life is about facing the reality, facing the suffering, facing the pain, facing the ambiguities, the anguish, all those things that are just facts about our history and our present in this country. And it's absolutely vital, he says, not to give in to the generalized American illusion and stay rooted in the blues tradition and, and knowing the, the actual experiences, the actual challenges that people face. The, uh, one line that I particularly love from that essay is that he says, you can't learn anything if you just look. Mm. You can't know what the river is like or what the ocean is like if you just stand on the shore. Mm. And that feels absolutely true to me. Yeah. That's a powerful frame, a powerful frame that you can't just look. Yeah, you cannot learn yeah. by just looking. Um, uh, you got it. You got to, as I said, you you have to assign yourself, right? You have to assign yourself, um, not just to look, but to engage, uh, to get involved. Uh, Cornell West, uh, my friend and brother uh, read that James Baldwin essay and turned it into a a speech that I was um, fortunate to be in the audience to hear him deliver one night. Um, and he born of that Baldwin essay that you just referenced, Jamel, uh, delivered a speech entitled what? can a blues nation learn from a blues people? That's what Baldwin inspired him um, to, 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 uh, to unpack. What can a blues nation learn from a blues people? We'll talk about that when we come forward, as well as um, the condition of truth. What is the condition of truth in our nation these days? Uh, a great deal more to cover when we come forward with Jamel Brinkley on Tavis Smiley. Unapologetically progressive. progressive. Unapologetically black. Black, black. You're tapped into Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Hey, Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Jamel Brinkley, I want to build on that James Baldwin essay you referenced. It's a brilliant, brilliant essay. Cornell West read it, as I said, and turned it into a speech called What Can a Blues Nation Learn from a Blues People? That's some of what you're tracking in this book, Witness Stories, What a Blues Nation Can Learn from a Blues People. How'd you respond to that? Um, I think that's right. And, and, and for me, you know, um, I think, like, you know, just to talk about the, the characters in my stories for a second and try to connect it to what we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, for, for me to understand these characters that I create and to write stories about them, they, they can't be ideas only. You know, you were talking earlier about, you know, like bringing the conversation down from the esoteric. And that's how I think about my characters. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of what we have to do morally but you know if, if i'm if i'm trying to write stories about these people i have to I have to know their 
the state of their hands, the state of their feet, you know, does their back hurt? I have to understand the body, mm. you know, of these characters in order to understand their plight, their lives, their, you know, their relationships, their challenges. Um, and that, to me, is, is the, the attitude of the blues. The blues is so earthy. It's so grounded, you know. The, the, the singing, the heights that the singing of the blues and the playing of the blues take is based so much on what is earthbound, the flesh, the, the trouble that assails the flesh. And I think it's important to, to sort of connect up with that, you know, um, and that's why I'm, I'm kind of pushing this idea of, of being in physical community with people as much as possible. You know, like not forgetting what it's like to actually be in the physical presence of others as a sort of a grounding for moral action. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm processing that. I, <laughs> yeah, let, let me think on that one for a second. That's a powerful point. Um, let me pivot while I think, uh, pivot to this. Um we were talking earlier, you were talking earlier about the lies. Um, uh, the lies are so prevalent in our society these days. It seems like everybody, it seems like everybody's lying. And I don't mean everybody literally. Yep. Uh, but um, the truth, it appears these days, is what each of us determines it to be. There is no objective standard. The truth is whatever each of us determines it to be. And I, and I wonder, you know, in, in a conversation like this about what it means to bear witness, to say what we see, um, how you would frame how you would define how you see the condition the condition of truth right now uh in this democracy yeah it's, it's, it's not an easy question um the, the condition of the truth i think you said earlier is kind of on life support yeah. right um facts can be seemingly invented out of thin air people can believe what they want to believe you know, I mean, we don't even need to go into Trump and all that kind of stuff, but that's a perfect example of this mm -hmm. kind of thing, right? Like, people who just sort of fall in for, like, the con act, right? Mm. Um, and just totally believe the narrative. Trump is a storyteller, I'm sad to say, as, oh, a, story, yeah. as a storyteller. Mm -hmm. He is. And so it's not like I can just sit here and sort of glorify the fact of telling stories itself. There's something else that has to happen. Because you can, you can tell stories for nefarious ends. Um, so the question, again, is, is, this, is something other than the fact of being able to spin a yarn. It, it's something about, like, what, what, are your, what is your attitude toward the world? What is your attitude toward others? Like, what, what sort of work do you want to do in the world, right? Um, is it to your own ends? Are you always trying to, um, you know, look out for yourself? Um, are you a promoter of, of discrimination? Are you a promoter of violence? You know, all these things can be marshaled into a kind of storytelling that would do so much harm. And so for me, it's like, yeah, you want to have the skills to tell a story, but that's not enough. Yeah. Right? You, you have to have a certain kind of moral grounding. And it's, it's a process. I, I don't think that there's one way to do it. I think you constantly have to sort of remind yourself and be in a continuous process of seeing the truth, connecting with people, you know, like, you know, trying to, like, wade through all the mess and find out what's really going on. You know, letting people tell you what's going on in their lives. Listening is an important part of this, too. You know, not just storytelling, but authentically listening to others. And it's, it's, it's a difficult process. It's not an easy process, mm. but it's an ongoing process. And I think it has to be ongoing if we're going to be moral agents. Our remaining moments with award-winning author of the book Witness Stories, Jamel Brinkley on Tavis Smile. This is getting good. Yeah, man. Tab is smiling. Smiley. Continues when we come forward. 
Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. Just a few minutes left here with uh, Jamel Brinkley. His book is uh, called Witness Stories, uh, and it tackles the issue, what it means to really see the world around us and to bear witness in this world, what it means um, to uh, to be willing to pay to pay a cost. Um, thinking of the great gospel song that um, I love so much, and it was one of Aretha Franklin's favorites. Uh, Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cost for everyone. Uh, and uh, there's a cross for me, a cross for every one of us that we have to have to bear. In the book, uh, there are 10 stories, each set in the changing landscapes of contemporary New York City. A range of characters from children to grandmothers to ghosts even live through the responsibility of perceiving and the moral challenge of speaking up or taking action. They strive to connect with and stand up for and care for and remember one another. Sometimes they fall short, like we do in real life. Uh, and the structures they build around these ambitions and failures shape their future as well as the legacies and prospects of their communities and their city. Uh, all that said, um, Jamel, why do, why do this as, as fiction? Uh, certainly you could tackle these issues in a nonfiction text. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I love our nonfiction writers, our essayists, who, who are trying to get at these truths in a different way. Um, I, like, I like to stir the imagination. You mm-hmm. know, the, the touch, there, there are lots of ways to affect people. Um, it can be through news and fact and, and essay and uh, music. And there's something about the telling of stories, um, trying to cultivate people's imaginations, stir their imaginations, develop their imaginations, um, help people exercise their imaginations, rather, that I find really appealing. Um, and it's, you know, it's something that I enjoy personally, but I think, you know, we, we need all the various kinds of art forms and, and forms of writing in order to, to um, help each other to try to face the truth. Yeah. Um, how, how are you these days sustaining your hope uh, when it comes to uh, wanting to live in a society where people will face the truth and be willing to bear witness about it? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, I, I keep coming back to what you were saying earlier about people looking perhaps too much inward. Mm-hmm. And in the face of that, I just think we have to be really intentional about, you know, cultivating our, our community spaces, you know, whether it's churches, secular groups, book clubs, um, you know, thinking of hip-hop, in fact, not just as music, but as a, a place where, you know, as a space, a cultural form that brings people together, thinking about neighborhoods as real things, not just people living next to each other, but actual neighborhoods and neighborliness. Um, even something like Black Twitter, you know, as a space within Twitter that, that you know, has a certain kind of... Um, community-mindedness and, you know, a kind of truth-telling focus, um, a certain kind of, you know, sustaining joy. Um, it's really about really thinking about those spaces and, and pushing yourself into as many of those spaces as possible as community. Yeah. I mentioned earlier that everybody has this, uh, this, this book on their must-read list from the New York Times to NPR to the L.A. Times and everybody in between. Uh, it's called Witness Stories, written by award-winning author Jamel Brinkley, who I've delighted in having on this program in this hour. Jamel, congrats on the text. Uh, all the best to you, and I uh, appreciate this conversation, sir. Thank you, Tavis. It was an honor and a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much. Pleasure and honor was all mine.